Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you once again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and our resulting outcomes. Now, one of the goals of Thank God for Money is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time as it is the month of March, Women's History Month. As such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. Her name is Gloria Felt. Gloria is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, commentator, international leadership expert, successful chief executive officer, and feminist icon. Her latest book is entitled Intentioning, Sex, Power, Pandemics, and How Women Will Take the Lead for Everyone's Good. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Gloria. Thank you so very, very much, Greg. I'm so happy to be here with you. The pleasure and honor really are all ours, certainly. Kindly tell the audience from what city and state you're speaking from this morning. This morning, I'm speaking from Scottsdale, Arizona. Most of the time, you'll find me in Manhattan, New York. So not so far from you. But, uh, <laughs> but I am in Arizona right now where I will say we haven't had ice storms. We haven't had snowstorms. So there's that. <laughs> I was going to say, you've just made this host and the listeners very, very jealous. <laughs> Gloria, sadly, we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about your incredible life, the work you've done over this wonderful life of yours, and this fabulous new book. Let's jump right into the deep end of the pool, if that's okay. You are a lifelong feminist and an icon in the women's rights movement. Please share with us your story and why you created Take the Lead. Absolutely, I always laugh at that because uh, I, I'm not the one who put icon into my, into my bio and I, I really know that it, that means I've been around a long time. So I, I, I get that, that's, uh, that's, how you, that's how you get that moniker. I started life in Temple, Texas. I uh, uh, grew up in small Texas towns in general. I was, uh, my high school was in a little town called Stanford, which was like, if you are familiar with the old movie, The Last Picture Show, it was like that. And in fact, was just a few miles away from the very real town that The Last Picture Show was written about. And uh, I, 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 I sort of bought what the culture was telling girls at the time which was you are here to be a support system for everybody else. You're, it, we didn't get uh, a motivation for careers. If you went to college, they said it was to get your MRS. 
And I bought that. I really bought that. I, I was a cheerleader. I was, you know, like I wanted to be the every all American girl. And uh, I bought it all too well. I, I became pregnant at 15, married my high school sweetheart, moved off to Odessa, Texas, which is oh. Friday Night Lights, if you if you like that series. Oh. And that's for real. My children all went to Permian High School. And uh, uh, that so that was the first half of my life. That was the first half of my life. And the, uh, you know, I, 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 after my third child was born, I was just barely 20 years old. Oh, my. and I think one of the most, one of the things that has been my motivator for so much of my life has been knowing what it feels like, knowing what it feels like to be basically in over your head in life <laughs> to, uh, to have made choices that might not have been the wisest choices and wow. to have to figure out, you know, okay, now what do I do? I have, you know, I, I have, I'm 20 years old. I have no employable skills. Uh, I'm married, but I have these three children. What if I had to support them? What would I do? So I started to community college at the time, and it took me 12 years to finally get my bachelor's degree. And while I was in that process, though, it gave me an opportunity to get involved in quite a number of community service activities. And one of them was to get involved in some organizations that were um, civil rights oriented. Oh, wow. That was in the 60s and the civil rights movement, you know, was really burgeoning. And I, um, yeah, even in Odessa, Texas, there were a few of us who were, <laughs> who were engaged and involved. And I noticed a couple of things. I, what I learned from the civil rights movement still guides so much of what I do now. And it is that people working together, even if they don't have much formal power, can accomplish anything. Oh, they can wow. make change. People can make change if they if they get together and they have a vision and a purpose and it's a noble purpose and they work on it and they can make it happen. They can they can figure out how to make it happen. The other thing I noticed, though, was that the women were doing all of the kind of frontline work and the men were getting all the leadership positions and all the credit. <laughs> Ouch. And that was, and I thought to myself, hey, wait a minute. If there are civil rights, women must have them too. Sure. Right? So that was really when I decided I would start devoting my my life to, to women's rights. And and I was planning to be a high school social studies teacher. And uh, so when I when I got my degree, that's really what my, my degree is in sociology and, and secondary education. Uh, but uh, but, but I, I was serendipitously offered a position running the small new Planned Parenthood affiliate in West Texas. Oh, that led to a 30 wow. year career with Planned Parenthood ending as the national president, which is what took me to New York. Oh, and, uh, and then I tried to retire. I wanted to write books. I wanted to be a thought leader. I didn't want to have an organization. I wanted to just like rest up a little bit. Uh, and uh, the la I, I wrote a book 10 years ago called No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, which in which I did my own research about why we had opened doors and we had changed laws and women really had access to leadership roles, but weren't there. We were only 18% of the leadership roles at that time. And I found that, that the problem now was our own socialization and the, you know, what, what we thought in our heads about ourselves and our unwillingness to self-advocate, uh, raise our hand and say, I want that job, even to see ourselves in, in those leadership roles. So uh, I, people started asking me to teach workshops 
using what I wrote in this book. Pretty soon I saw women have really astonishing breakthroughs in their lives and in their careers. And I realized that I really had figured out that it was our relationship with power that's differentially, um, we're, we're socialized differently around power and than you know, men, men and women, even today, very much so. And so, well, you know, slowly but surely, the book turned into the organization Take the Lead. We prepare, develop, inspire, and propel women to take their fair and equal positions in all sectors. By 2025, all women of all diversities and intersectionalities were very, very uh, intersectionality focused. And we are, we, we know that it was bold to say we could do that 10 years ago when we started, or eight years ago when we started. And it's even bolder now that women have been set back by the pandemic. But that's where we are. That's what we do training, coaching, role model programs, and thought leadership, all for the purpose of, of gender equality in leadership. We are so blessed to have someone of your ilk and experience, Gloria, with us today. What an incredible and inspiring story. I could sense from this great book of yours and just what you shared these last few minutes, you love Women's History Month. Why is it important to celebrate Women's History Month? Such a good question. It's important for all of us to know where we come from to know our history. The first power tool, the first leadership tool in my book, No Excuses, is know your history and you can create the future of your choice. Because when you don't know your history, you don't know like even the history of your own family, you need to know those things. I would say that the greatest leaders know who they are and they know themselves very, they know their values, they know why they uh, have those values. And in fact, in my new book, Intentioning, the first leadership tool in that one is uncover yourself, which has a lot to do also with knowing your history from, you know, because women have not been known in history, uh, for the most part, history has been written from the perspective of men and, and the kind of power that is oppressive. Sure. Wars and fighting and you know, believing that resources are scarce. And in today's world, that is not functional because the resources that we have at our, look at the technology we have. This is not, you know, this is not a finite pie. We can exactly. all have access to this, sure. right? So it's a very, it's not functional anymore. And what is functional is, is the kind of, belief system that women can adopt around power, which is the power to accomplish things and make life better for ourselves, our family, the world. So we need to know our own history so that we have female role models. We need to know our history so that we know more about who we are as human beings and can get in touch with our, our values and what shaped us, what made us like what we are. So Bringing the stories of women into the history books is very important and into our knowledge of history is very important. And also learning from that history, learning what was good, learning what was bad, learning the mistakes, learning the, you know, all of those things are important. I would imagine that you have just a couple, if not many, female heroes are there one or two you'd like to share about this morning with us, please? Oh, my goodness. I have, I, you know, there are so many, 
that I could mention. Uh, one that I talk about a lot is, and, and again, in the same vein of even when you think you don't have power, if you get, gather together with other people who share your beliefs and values, you can make change in the world. Uh, one of them is, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a contemporary one and somebody from history. Right. So, Thank from you. History. So from history, Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth was born enslaved. And she, um, she says, I, I didn't, she said, I walked away. That's what she says. She says, I didn't get freed. I walked away. I walked away. I freed myself. <laughs> wow. Uh, so she had no money. She had no formal power. This was long before women could vote. It was, you know, the, the whole women's movement was just barely getting started. And the abolition movement was just barely started. And Sojourner Truth ultimately became a Methodist minister, uh, one of the leading orators of her day. And uh, she, she, I believe, was arrested for trying to vote when she was in her 80s in Washington, D.C. Oh, my DC. gosh. And, and she, you know, she just, and what she said was, if women want more power than they've got, why don't they just take it? <laughs> so I try to live by that. <laughs> oh, that is absolutely awesome. Yeah. So a modern day woman that I that I will just quickly mention is Lema Gabawi from Liberia. And oh. during the civil war in Liberia, though she was terribly distressed because the dictator was had had been taking boys as young as nine and ten years old into his army. And then they would either not come back at all or come back maimed for life. Oh. And she, she, she felt she had to do something about it. But again, no formal power. She, for the first time, brought together Christian women and Muslim women because she knew all of the women were concerned, but they had never gotten together before. Wow. And they decided they would go to the town square. They would not open their stores. They ran all the little stores in the town square. They would wear white for symbolism of what they were doing. So they would be noticed and they would sit there and pray and sing until the dictator went away. And it took a year. It took a year. But finally, the United Nations took note because they were getting media attention. Oh, wow. and uh, and indeed, uh, Charles Taylor resigned, left, and that opened the path for the first female president in oh. Africa, oh. country president. So, Lamba Gabawi is is one of my current heroes. That's absolutely awesome. Certainly. Now, sadly, I have a perception where and help us out with. I have a sense, even though progress, yes, has been made, women's rights seem to be endangered at this point in time. Am I correct? And if so, why? Every, every movement, as you know, I'm sure, gets a pushback. Every, every advance in human freedom gets pushed back in some way. There's always a reaction. And I think that that's, that's what's going on. Uh, well, th there's the practical part of it in that the pandemic opened up the realization that women were doing again, like I saw in the civil rights movement, women were 80% of the healthcare providers. Women were 80%, you know, like over 50% or like 70% of the cashiers and the all, you know, the frontline people who were either losing their jobs or getting sick or whatever. And so many of them are just stepping out and stepping back and saying, I, you know, this is, I'm not going to do this anymore. So some of it is, is really a whole rethink of 
what is life and what should we be doing with our lives? And, but, but, but some of it is legislative. Some of it is simply, you know, it's hard to change a culture while you're living in it. Very hard. (laughs) And there will always be some pushback. So, uh, but, but I, the way I feel about it is I, I feel personally that I've been very fortunate to make my life's passions for social justice into my life's work. And I am, because I've lived long enough to be called an icon, I can see the long arc of history. Uh, and, and, and so I know that we can make progress. So I have an optimistic view of it. Well, that makes two of us no doubt about it. It's people like you who are causing me to be very optimistic, uh, Gloria. Now, you wrote in the Austin Herald statements that it was time for women, quote, to wield their power, end quote. Why do you think more women in leadership positions are not speaking up and wielding their power? We talked a little bit about this, but peel the onion a little bit more for us, please, Gloria. There are a couple of things that happen. I mean, once a movement is successful, people lose their lose the, the some of the the courage and passion for breaking a few eggs sometimes. But the thing is that it, sometimes success is what breeds a lack of continued uh, advocacy function. And you think, okay, we've won the battles because we see women first everything. We've seen a woman first in almost every position. So it begins to feel like everything is okay. But what concerns me is that there's the women who are now in executive leadership positions could not be there had it not been for the boundaries that were broken on their behalf by other women. Indeed. So I believe in what I was saying in that Austin American Statesman article is that it's your responsibility. If you've got, if you have ascended to some kind of powerful position, it is your responsibility now to bring other people along. It's your responsibility to speak up. I don't care if you think an issue is controversial. I don't, I don't care. You need to speak up. You've got a voice. People, other people used it on your behalf so you could get where you are. You need to get out there and, and help the next the next woman or the next group or the next people who need your help. Sure. Yeah, that, that makes such great sense, no doubt about it. I perceive from what we've talked about in this great book here, you and take the lead are indeed wielding your power. Tell us how you're doing this, please, Gloria. We are we are focusing very much on the kind of training that we now know. We've had external evaluations of our training program, so we know that they do give women a, a different way of thinking about themselves and a different way of thinking about what their intentionality can be, what they could do with their with their lives, and, and in a way that brings them, that is authentic to them, that gives them confidence, and that gives them joy. I don't think you should do anything if you don't, if it doesn't give you joy, <clears throat> that's just, you know, it's a personal, a personal thing, but I, I don't, I, I hate it when the narrative tells women they can't be happy because they can't have it all. Well, you, everybody gets to, has to make decisions every day. Nobody oh. has everything. You decide what your all is. You decide what, what gives you joy. And then you try to achieve to the highest way that you can. So what we do is we first help women break down the, power in their own minds. Uh, we, we deconstruct it, we reconstruct it in a way that women embrace 
And oh, they're like, oh, yeah, if I can have the power to make life better for my family, I want that kind of power. Right. So that, you know, making that mental shift sounds so simple, but it takes some work to get there. So we start with that and then we give them leadership, very specific leadership tools that sometimes are counterintuitive. For example, I teach them how to embrace controversy how to understand that controversy is actually your friend. If something is controversial, then people are paying attention to you and to that and you have a chance to teach. You have a chance to explain why you believe what you believe. And maybe they'll come along with you or maybe they won't, but at least you've been able to speak your truth. Um, so those are some things, you know, that, that, and then there's another one I think you might like. It's called Wear the Shirt. And it's it, what that's about is wear the shirt of your convictions. It's like, what do you believe so strongly that you'll put it on your shirt and wear it to the gym? Oh, my goodness. I love <laughs> so people it. ask you about it. And then you have to tell them what, you know, this is why this is why I believe this. And, you know, and so but so often we don't share those deep values that we have. And that's not to the good. So those we're often told to keep our mouths shut, keep our heads down, right? No, don't. I tell them just the opposite. So we, we teach them leadership, very specific leadership skills and tools. And then, uh, by the way, I, I, the intention of that is so they can thrive in the world as it is while they change it to the world they want it to be. Oh, that's sweet. They, that's sweet. I want them to know they can make change. They can make change. There's a positive way to do it and a negative way to do it. And I teach them the positive way. And then we, uh, I, I, I'm very, ever practical. They create a strategic leadership action plan for themselves so that I don't want them to just be inspired or just learn something. I want them to actually put it into action. Oh, wow. And so that's the whole thing. During that process, we'll also bring in role models. Uh, we'll bring in, because this works in any profession, any sector. So if, for example, if journalists will bring in a prominent journalist, if it's nonprofits, we'll bring in a nonprofit leader, whatever it is that we're doing, we, we you know, it relates to them. And then we follow up to see, have they used their plan? Have they actually been working their plan? And we have good results. We have uh, somewhere around 80% of the women who make their plans are working on them within three months. Oh, that's amazing. 40, 40% who go through our programs have received a, a raise or a promotion within, within six months. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I, I'm all about, is this going to actually help you? And, and that, and I, and it makes me very happy that it does. A lot of women call it jet fuel for their careers. <laughs> oh, oh, that's awesome. So clear, you add significant value in this great work that you and take the lead are doing. It sounds like you've gotten some very positive feedback that the results have been outstanding. Yes. Uh, that we are intentioning, which is a word I made up. Uh, because I wanted, because I am very action oriented and I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, after, after I've helped women know their power, then the next question is the, the power to what, what, how are you going to use it? Oh. You know, how, how, how will, what will your intention be for using that power that you now know you have? And, and, and I looked for a verb that, and I, you know, intention is a wonderful noun, 
but I decided I needed to turn it into a verb so that it would signify action, that we're talking about action. So hence the word intentioning, and that's why the book is called Intentioning. Oh, that is so wonderful because I hear more and more, and maybe you as well, about this concept of being intentional. Yes. So funny, when I typed intentioning onto a Word document that I was using for this interview, the spell checker came up and said, you know, (laughs) how did you come up with this great word? That's amazing. I Googled to see if I could find a version of intention that would, you know, that would serve what I wanted to say, which was it's action. I want action. And I couldn't find one. And so, so I made it up and now I'm on a mission for it to be in the dictionary the next time around. And maybe it will be the word of the year next year. That's my intentioning. Oh, that would be awesome. No doubt about that. Unfortunately, time is getting a little bit short, but I still have a couple of more questions to ask you this morning, Gloria. The book Intentioning, it's a quick and insightful read. The audience knows I'm a bad reader. I'm not a good reader, but even I could pick this up and read it and understand be inspired by it. So thank you again for that. I'm just simple-minded, you know, as I have to write simply. (laughs) Is there one key element you would like listeners to really consider from the book? Maybe we've touched upon it already. Maybe we haven't, but just to reinforce, is there one key element you'd like the listeners to really consider from this great book? You know, I I would say that that if I could choose only one, it would be that I wrote this book during the pandemic. And the the thing I would like people to understand is that massive disruptions are always the best opportunity to make significant change. And so while it has been a very difficult people and so many people have suffered illness and loss and grief. And it's been a tough, tough time for, for all, for all of us. And, and so many have just endured so much. And yet from the larger perspective of, of making social change and change for social justice, I really believe that these kinds of disruptions are forcing us to rethink so many things about what really matters in life. Uh, Certainly racial justice has become something that is on everybody's mind and actions right now, as it should have been always, but now it's really there. And so these are times when we can make change that otherwise wouldn't have happened. And that would be, just know that it, actually one of my power tools in No Excuses is carpe the chaos. I say, you know, let's carpe the chaos of this pandemic, of this disruption, disruptive time, and make the changes that we know need to be made in our lives, in our workplace, uh, make things better for everybody. Oh, that is so wonderful. Well, kudos to you, Gloria, because you and Take the Leap, you were among the first organizations really to see that women would be very severely impacted. Uh, by the pandemic, certainly. And kudos to you, because you've responded so well. Uh, Thank no you. question about it. Sadly, as we know, there's still a lot of negativity in the world today. As we wind down our conversation, do you want to point out a rose, maybe among the thorns, for our <laughs> listeners, please? To me, the rose among the thorns is that there is always, you know, there is always something that each of us can do to to make the world a better place. And 
uh, it's hard to see that rose sometimes. And and especially when we are feeling down and depressed and uh, whatever, whatever may have happened to us, but but, and again, I attribute this partly from the resilience that I've developed by simply living through a lot of it. And that is, it is that there, there is always a way, there is always a way. And I mean, the world right now is in deep trouble again, in so many ways, but I, I, I think the rose is, we also as humans are infinitely adaptable, infinitely creative, infinitely able to come up with new solutions, and we will survive and thrive. I agree with you a thousand percent. You've given us so many nuggets this morning. Gloria, is there one final thing you'd like to share before we must sign off today? Well, the only thing I would love to share with anyone who's listening is to come to our website, Take the Lead, at taketheleadwomen.com. And you'll find many resources that may be helpful to you, uh, many free resources that we have, and then also course offerings that we have that may be helpful. My own personal website is gloriafelt.com. And to find the book Intentioning, it is just gloriafelt.com forward slash intentioning, or just go to Amazon or wherever you like to buy your books and you can find it. You can also get the audiobook. You can listen to a free chapter of the audiobook on my website. Um, I recorded it myself, which was lots oh, of fun. Oh, wow. And uh, so that's it. I would just say, let's stay, let's keep talking. Let's stay, stay in dialogue. Listeners, absolutely. Let's keep this conversation moving. It's such a critical conversation. Yes, Women's History Month is the month of March, but this is a conversation that needs to be held 12 months of the year. And let me just share one more thing. Gloria Felt, her last name, F-E-L-D-T. So please make sure you spell it right uh, to go buy her book. Do yourselves a favor. Buy it for you. Buy it for someone else. Share the good, as we Franciscans love to say here on Thank God for Monday, intentioning sex, power, pandemics, and how women will take the lead for everyone's good. Gloria Felt, thank you, thank you, thank you for being our very special guest on Women's History Month today. We've been enlightened, but we've been so inspired today as well. Thanks for all the many, many works you've done your entire life and are just continuing to do. I sense you're not stopping at all. So it's really, really wonderful. And hopefully one of these weeks, I'll bump into you on the streets of Manhattan or Brooklyn. Who knows? In the subway, probably. Okay, (laughs) very good. All right. This has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Pleasure's been ours. Listeners, sadly, once again, we're out of time. But before we go, don't forget about our social media, the Tweet Tweet, the Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. Ideas for guests, ideas for shows. We love to hear from you as well. Listeners, sadly, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Gloria does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. See you next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everyone.